0: What's up, Quarantiners and Disney Plusers? That's basically all we're doing. Although, I mean, well,
1: you know, you got the Netflixers. Don't leave
0: out the Huluers. And the Huluers. The <laughs> Huluies. And the HBO, Max the HBO Max Plus? Maxers. Which what I is have. It, what is,
1: it? is it Plus Max or no, Max? No, it's
0: HBO Max. So <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah I don't, um i have it but only because it comes with my at&t which is self-subscription yeah, so sweet. whatever um really looking forward to that snyder cut in a year not <laughs> i just couldn't care less honestly well shade right out of the gate here hey, we go <laughs> you know um we've been gone for a while yeah uh it just uh, uh speaking on a personal level i haven't uh I haven't really felt like doing this.
1: It's been hard to be motivated. Yeah. You're at your I mean, me too. Cause I, you have used, you've also, <laughs> I can't even talk. You notice that I haven't mentioned like, Hey, should we do anything? Yeah. I just kind of let it go. Right. So, uh, yeah, I've been lacking that motivation. Uh,
0: obviously, uh, you know, she's th- stuff is going on in the world. And, um, to, to, two idiot nerds talking about movies seems like the least important thing. Sure. Um, and so we just, we, you know, uh, there's a lot, I mean, it's also the anniversary of your uh, your son's passing, and yep. so that makes it difficult as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's been hard to be motivated to um, do something incredibly uh, positive and happy because the, it kind of seems like the world isn't right now.
1: Yeah, It, it you know, it's... Um, you know, it's interesting. It doesn't feel right to be happy, but at the same time, you know, going through... So at this point last year, we were in the middle of an ICU. Yeah. And, you know, we we were hopeful and we were prayerful. We didn't know what the outcome was going to be, um, but, you know, we were... Because it had been a week at this point, right? Yeah, at this point, yeah. it would have been... Or a little it, over? it would have been in exactly okay. a week. It would have been seven days. Yeah. Um, well, you know, one of the things when when um, when we we're in there, I came to the realization that I had to give myself permission to be joyful. Sure. Yeah. Despite the circumstance, um, because there are elements of things that I saw god doing in that space and you know i don't want to over spiritualize the thing but um god was working in different people's lives and people that were that were estranged from one another had come together and got resolved and you know um and the message of hey don't do drugs is
0: you know on display yeah Yeah, and so
1: it um so yeah, it was. Uh, it's okay. It's okay to be happy, and I think um, our happiness shouldn't be dictated by our circumstance. Sure. And it, in the same vein, it's also okay to be sad mm-hmm. uh, and despondent. And I've had a lot of extra elements of sad and despondence you know during this season um and that's okay too like i have to allow um i have to allow for that i have to be like hey you know what there are going to be days where i just i'm like nah yeah and then other days where hey let's go yeah um and so you know and at, at that's even with the podcast, I'm like, you know what there's gonna be times where man, it's not appropriate, mm-hmm. and it's okay, yeah, and I think you know not doing business as usual, I think honors that, you know and and okay. you know i'm yeah. i'm I'm especially excited about our episode today where we're we're interviewing a friend um that's in the film space. Cause we want to honor our audience. Mm-hmm. That's what we talk about. That's our subject matter. Um, but you know, we're, we're pivoting that subject a little bit today to, to discuss um, how to steward our influence and how to, how to make lasting change. Yeah. Right. You know, and recognizing that change needs to be made. Yeah. Um, as you know, and Zach, uh, you always talk about not you know this isn't this isn't a gossip channel this isn't it's uh um we're we're not here to talk about other any other political you know and socioeconomic issues and stuff of that nature right. um where it isn't appropriate um but i think it's appropriate it's appropriate for us to recognize hey this is a problem. This is a problem, not just in society, but it's a problem in in the film industry. Sure, it's a pro. It's a global problem. There's a friend of mine that's in Canada that was like, "Oh, let me let me give you some stats about what that looks like in Canada."
0: Yeah. Because you're like, "Oh, what like Canada? What?" Sure, yeah. And you feel like it's an isolated problem at first, and it, then you find out it's yeah, not, you know?
1: it isn't, and it's not. Um, and it's interesting too because. That 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 racism and that oppression is further reaching. Like, there's Native American people. or mm-hmm. not uh, they're not Native American in Canada, but Indigenous people in Canada. That Canada's still are, America, just yeah, north. Sure, oh, yeah. yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah And indigenous I was people, like, sure. wow, you know, uh, th- this is a bigger problem. Oh yeah. And but right now the spotlight is is on our black friends and we need to help you know we need to come alongside we need to you know offer our platform steward our influence well and and have a discussion educate and then figure out how we can make lasting change Mm -hmm. how can we make change that makes a difference right you know and i i don't i don't think it's an accident that we're here on
0: juneteenth to to have this discussion we were trying to get him on for, I don't know, probably six months. Maybe we've had, you know, we've been talking about it and then he's been yeah, working on this out. book and, yeah. um, and it just happened. It was like, we were able to schedule it and get him on today. Yeah. And I don't think that's cool. You know, I'm, I'm okay. It is literally coincidence, but I don't think it's, you know, uh, a negative coincidence no, for sure. Um, no not at all. But at the same time, um, it's important to have these conversations. It's important to um, not just hide behind the, the idea that racism doesn't exist. If you don't feel like you are racist, you know, we got, we have to, we have to make sure that we're, we're training or teaching uh, the next generation to be even better than us. And uh, having these conversations, having these protests, having just everything that's going on is definitely the step to kind of, Uh, i I don't want to say fix but to maybe you know get us on the next correct path for the next generations to come and hopefully eventually it's just not a problem anymore you know it's just it's it's something that's just in history books in school right and we live in this gene rottenberry star trek universe eventually you know right um and I hope that that's my hope is that eventually we get there and I, you know, I think we will, it's just going to take a, a very long time and you know, and uh, I, I think, I think to not say anything at all is just kind of feeding the problem. Um, yeah. You know, in a lot of ways. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, it's interesting. I have, I have some thoughts on that too um, because initially you know, there's a lot of people on social that were chiming in, and um, and some very well-meaning that were trying to jump in and help, and you know, good-hearted, and sometimes um, good-hearted, naive people say things, and they don't really think through the magnitude of of you know what they're saying. Because there may be truth to what they're saying, but they're minimizing the issue mm-hmm. and their intent, I don't think. And now, and I like to think that I like to give people the benefit of the doubt uh, and 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 maybe there's some purity of heart in my my approach in wanting to think that, oh, that people say things and they're not really thinking it through. I know there's truth to that, but then there are those that say those things and they thought it through and they know exactly what they're doing. And that's not cool. Um, But one of the things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way initially was your silence is complicit compliance. And I was like, no, it isn't because I wasn't quick to jump in. I wasn't quick to add my two cents. I was like, "Man, I really want to feel what people are feeling. I really want to take it in, and I need to take it in and really digest it. Like, I want to, mm-hmm. I want to think through how I should respond, and meditate on that. And it it took me, it it took me a week, maybe even two weeks, um, before." And I was, I was liking stuff that, you know, there's a really good friend of mine who's a teacher and a photographer and indie filmmaker. Um, and, uh, he's been taking some amazing photos of a lot of the protest stuff. Right. Um, and, and I'm, I was like, man, you're doing, you're doing a really great job telling this story visually. This is, this is awesome. And, um, he, he, he always talks to me like I'm Yoda because I encourage him to, to go down the <laughs> photo path. And I'm like, look, man, I, I'm, I'm not Yoda. I'm not short and green and I'm not that smart, but, um, but you know, I believe in people and I, I, yeah, you know, I encourage them to chase their, their passions and, and their, and their gifts. And, um, you know, and I, and I reposted stuff that people were posting, um, but I was very, uh, I wanted to be very meaningful and mindful about contributing to the conversation. Um, and I think that part of that led to this, this episode, you know, wanting to have this episode and because Dondre was, you know, he's been doing this male versus man thing and, um, you know, as soon as I found out from another friend of mine, I I immediately went to Amazon and bought the book because I wanted to support my friend and started reading through it. And what he's doing with that is, is so needed. Um, and you know, the book is called male versus man. And he's talking about the difference between being a man is someone who's intentional. That's um, that takes personal responsibility, that has integrity, um, is about good character. And being male is just, you know, you got some junk and you're, you just are impulsive and you don't take responsibility and you're lacking in character. Right. So maturity versus immaturity is, mm-hmm. it's. I don't want to oversimplify it, but that's kind of the idea. And... Um, you know and he talks about the ills that go on with that but
0: yeah i think we can just kind of get into it so uh without further ado here's our interview with Dondre whitfield
1: i am so excited to introduce my friend author actor activist Dondre whitfield is with us today and we're gonna have a fantastic episode Dondre, how is it going
2: brother under under the circumstances this is all going well i uh I accept this as uh, a part of my greater assignment. Uh, I know that where there is, as a man, where there is uh, pain, where there is labor, uh, what gets birth, much like a a, a woman who goes through uh, labor um, and has to feel the the pain of the delivery, um, she knows that she's delivering something great. So I know that in this, um, something great is going to be delivered out of all the labor, out of all the pain that we're experiencing as a society, so my job is just to m- make sure that I find my space in uh, in God's story in all of this and walk out my purpose. So, yeah, yeah, I feel great.
1: Well, you l- let me just start with this. I want to encourage you because I've been seeing, you know, your your posts on Instagram. I've been seeing kind of the social stuff that you've been doing and the, in the message that you've been sending and amplifying. And I'm grateful to be able to, you know, offer our platform to continue to amplify that message. Um, I've dove into the first half of male versus man, which is your new book and um, really talking about character and integrity and responsibility and, and I just want to say you are doing that in such a fantastic fashion um, you are truly an inspiration of what it means to make a difference and um and you're you're really leading the way in, in a in a in a way that is uh truly glorifying god and and I'm excited to call you friend
2: brother i I, I am so humbled. <laughs> I'm so humbled by that. And to hear that, um, thank you. I, I, you know, you're one of the brothers who, um, you know, I actually, uh, talk about you and our circle of brothers who during a time where I, um, uh, where I was, you know, sort of had on my, my, my training wheel, so to speak, um, about, uh, my discipleship about becoming a man of, of, of discipline as, as a, as a, a godly man and, and, um, and walking my way through the word. And, um, I often reference our circle. Um, when I talk about, I think the most profound time in my life as a, as a man, trying to further elevate in the area of manhood and feeling unconditional love from men. Um, and, uh, every time we got together for a Bible study, um, you and Curtis and Matt and, you know, all of those brothers that, you know, were a part of our circle. I never felt love, unconditional love from men, um, like that before. And that had a profound effect on me. And um, um, it changed my heart. Um, It changed the way I saw um, what my own assignment was. Um, And I just remembered that I had an insatiable appetite to give to other men the same uh, blanket of love covering that I got from, from you all. Um, it was really, really inspiring. It was really changing. So when you read in that book, how, um, I'm talking about those brothers, I'm talking about you. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, man, that was phenomenal. It changed my, it changed my life. I tell people all the time that acting is my passion, but activation is my purpose.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What I
2: wanted to do during those studies was to, to activate someone the way you all were activating me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And likewise, and likewise. And, and, and you're, and you, in in what you're doing now is, is returning that same activation and, you know, is, is yeah. in, inspiring me to, to step into that as well. Um, I love it. Uh, yeah. So I'm, you know, this is a film making podcast. So we did want to touch on uh, just kind of your journey. Um, you know, the, the acting passion that you have, like, how does it How does a kid from Brooklyn just dis- get into <laughs> acting and have the success that you've had um and maybe some memorable lessons along the way you know just bringing some value you know in the film space, but I think even more so you know as 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 we progress in our discussion, you know talking about talking about using that influence to inspire change and um so
2: um yeah. I uh, you know it's interesting that that uh, just talking about as a as a kid being from Brooklyn and you know not having any uh, anyone in my cipher that's very much a Brooklyn word uh any, anyone in my cipher to to really help me uh, in that transition or in the pursuit of what was a passion of mine, um, God puts people sort of like in your, uh, path, um, to help you navigate the the turns. Um, if I had done all of the navigating myself, I never would have gotten to this point. Mm. Um, because I didn't know at that time what I needed kind of like, you know, what, you know, what I was talking about earlier with, you know, with you all helping me in the way of, you know, discipleship and all of that. I didn't know what I needed in that moment. Well, I didn't know what I needed in the moment of me growing into, um, an actor or a budding actor. And so, um, God literally just put people in front of me that I absolutely needed. So first teacher, in elementary school, her name was, uh, Elaine Jackson. She lived in the neighborhood. May she rest in peace. Um, she lived in the neighborhood. So she was invested in us in a way that most other teachers were not invested because mm. she was a product of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she recognized the talent that I did not even know that I had and she kept asking me to come being her school plays. And I grew up in a very rough area in Brooklyn, having to fight every, you know, every other day, literally. Um, and her asking me or giving me an invitation to come and be in her school play was like the equivalent of being in the glee club. Mm-hmm. In my neighborhood, I was like, "Lady, you sure, trying to get me yeah. beat up? I'm like, <laughs> right, I'm already right. like, I'm like, nah, man. I'm like, I already have tough so <laughs> time because at the time, you know, curly hair, light skin, you know, living in the hood, like that <laughs> already in and of itself is an invitation to a fight. But now you try to get me beat to death,
1: <laughs> right? Not fighting every other like, day, but every day,
2: <laughs> nah, every day, every hour of the day, yeah, nah, yeah." Man, nah. Nah, I was like, nah, lady, I love you, but nah, you trying to get me killed in these streets. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> right. Like, I, I, I don't need to be revealing the vulnerable side of myself. I need to be revealing the monster side of myself to prevent some of the monstrous acts that are trying to be committed against me. Right, so I'm like, right. no, 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 no. Uh, and so, uh, every day she would see me, every day I would say no, every day she would invite me, every day I would re- re- rebuke her you know, her invitation. I'll be like, no, no, thank you. And, uh, so as fate would have it, um, you know, when you're in elementary school, fire drills are a big deal. <laughs> right. So if you walk, if you talk during a fire drill, you're going to get in trouble. If I lie during a fire drill, you're going to get in trouble. Yep. Anything that you do during a fire drill is going to get you in trouble because that's like, like you just said that God doesn't exist. Right. So like, literally like you're going to detention forever. Yeah. So <laughs> yep. I was playing with a quarter in my pocket, right? Um, because I had this quarter, it was like itching. It was like, you know, like just itching me, like going, I can't wait till school is over so I can go and play this video game. till I got this quarter in my pocket.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, So
2: I was playing with this quarter in my pocket and this quarter happens to fall out of my pocket and rolls to the other side of the hall. Oh, oh, no. No. oh, no. I've got two choices. Dive
1: for the quarter.
2: <laughs> Dive for the quarter, step out of line in a fire drill, which you know is like saying that God doesn't exist. You're going to like rot in <laughs> hell. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh, no.
2: Or you leave the quarter on the other side so that you don't have to feel the wrath <laughs> of
1: teaching staff. And, and 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 suffer the like, pain of some other kid picking it up and playing that game that you totally, so wanted to play.
2: <laughs> totally. And I was like, all right. Yeah. Option number 1, diving after the quarter. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll suffer the consequences, but I'm definitely playing a game yeah. after school.
1: Yeah, after detention.
2: <laughs> after detention, right. no right. problem. Right. I can yeah. wait this out. It's this right. okay. So uh, I immediately get, get, you know, get get pulled up, pulled uh, away from the fire drill, serve detention. Mrs. J- Ms. Jackson finds out about the d- detention. She says, so I hear you have to serve detention. I said, yep. Yeah. And she said, well, you can either serve detention or you can come and be in my place. Now, I want you to think, like, get into the mind of a kid. See, when you grow up in the hood, you got to learn how to think. This is why we grow up a lot faster, because <laughs> you're constantly learning how to process information and <laughs> manipulate it to your advantage. <laughs> right. Right? So I said, oh, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, maybe I'll just come in my head. I'm going, I'll just go be in her in her play. Or at least I'll tell her that, and then I'll get kicked out of her play. So oh. I'll be disruptive. Right. So yeah, I'll yeah. get kicked out of the play, and then I won't have to serve detention either. Right.
3: Uh huh.
2: So I said, "Okay, yeah, no problem." So rehearsal comes, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm looking at like everybody that's in the, who's agreed to voluntarily be in the play. Like, look at these suckers. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and I'm right. like, all right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to be out of here in a second, right? So I start, like, you know, acting up, like, you know, being disruptive. And she was smarter than I was, obviously. <laughs> and so she's like, I know what he's doing. I'm just going to ignore him. So all of my my plans were being foiled because she had a counter. <laughs> For everything that, like <laughs> all of my, like I was playing checkers, she was playing chess. Yeah, yeah. she knew like, all the like, tricks. Dude I, know yeah. I, dude, I know, I know what you're doing, dude. Relax. So finally, she says, and this is where she was really smart. Somebody got up and they did like a small little piece of this uh, dialogue. She she created West Side Story, but she made it African. Because, you know, we're in this neighborhood of all black and brown children. We literally had one uh, 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 family that, w- that happened to be white living in our neighborhood. And they, we didn't even see them as that. Right? Yeah. Because they just saw themselves as us. Right. And so we, it was all black and brown children in our, our, uh, our neighborhood. So she made West Side, She created a play called Harambe. And it was a, an African version of West Side Story. She was a genius. Wow, that's yeah,
1: cool. Yeah.
2: So she she re, she so she writes the dialogue of the play, and so she gave a small section to a a, a kid, and uh, and had him read it. And this is how smart she was. She wanted me to be. Uh, uh, the like the lead in the play, but so she had this kid read that part and then said, "Well, I'm pretty sure nobody else can read that any better."
0: Oh, uh, yeah. here we go. A little reverse <laughs> psychology, huh?
2: And I was like,
1: "Give me that, <laughs>
2: yeah, give me that." I was like, dad he didn't even do anything." First of all, it wasn't even really that good, to be honest. Uh huh. Okay, well, let me hear you. I was like, "Give me that." <laughs> yes, awesome. And I and I was myself and smashed it, right?
1: Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: And she was like, "Well, that wasn't. Nah, that was pretty good." But unfortunately, I know that you don't want to be in this place, so um, I can't give it to you. I'm gonna have to give him the the lead the lead of the show. And I was like, "Wait a second! I didn't say that." I was like I was like it would be I'm like if you give it to him the play is going to suck.
0: Oh man, <laughs> she got you.
2: So so she was like, "Well, uh I don't know." I'm like, and I, and to be honest, I don't even think anybody wants you to be in this play. Oh. And I was like, "Who? Who does?" <laughs> Cuz we fighting right now. <laughs> I was like, "Who doesn't want me to be in the play?" Yeah. Like, who, who, who doesn't? And of course nobody did because nobody, they wanted to be in the play. They weren't in the play to fight.
1: Right. Yeah. Yep.
2: But she knew where I was going and she knew where I was coming. She was giving me the opportunity to be tough.
1: Yeah. Yep. Right? Yeah.
2: And she was giving me the opportunity to take over, which is what she wanted me to do in the first place. Right. Right? Yeah. And to be a leader of that space. She knew that I could yeah. Well, she knew this was the only way to to do it. Yeah. Man, we started this rehearsal and it was like all of the things that worked against me in class were all the things that worked for me on stage. Wow. And all of the all the stuff that I had inside of me finally found a home. Wow. And man, it was like being bitten by a bug that like there's no antidote for. Her. Right. Like I had finally been awakened. I finally had like my space. Yeah.
1: And, yeah. So, and, and she valued you. Know, you. You, yeah, you you felt she, valued. She
2: saw my value. She it was it was like it it was instantaneous. Wow. It was instantaneous. And for her to, to hear, you know, to hear every day. How, how great I was, how, how good I was at it, how, like, that's all any kid ever wants to, I don't, don't get fooled or distracted by any kid that's on the street that's acting out. Right. All they're really looking for is that moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Right?
2: Because they're you, constantly being told how bad they are. Yeah. They're all starving to hear how good they are at something.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And That's so, so good. That was that was Miss Jackson in elementary school. Yeah. Then I was blessed with another Miss Jackson in junior junior high school, but her name was Mrs. Gonzalez. Mrs. Gonzalez took over where Miss Jackson look, took uh, left off in elementary school. Mrs. Mrs. Gonzalez picked up right in junior high school, right where Miss Jackson left off. So. She literally I was in the uh the lead in in uh, those plays in junior high school and she basically told basically was giving me the same thing. Oh my gosh, this this is gonna be awesome and this is gonna and, and they were speaking life into my my trajectory. Yeah. This is what you're going to become. And so uh performing arts. We're now filling out applications for specialized high schools, right? Mhm. And, uh, I put on my application, uh, performing arts high school, which is the fame high school. Right. Right. So, uh, so I had all this confidence until I found out how difficult it was to get into school. And I found out what the odds were and it
0: freaked me out. Mm. Oh, you just got super discouraged. Right.
2: Oh man, I got super discreet because good yeah. things don't happen from people when they come from the hood. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there. This is the, this is the narrative, right? Yeah, so, right, yeah. um, and now let me tell you how strong narratives are. Um, like after we segue to this, when we get to my book, I'm going to tell you how strong narratives are. Mm. Fourth grade teacher, just about narratives and about messaging and how they stay in a child. So everything that you say to a child just stays in them. So, I had had far more teachers that were unlike Ms. Jackson and Mrs. Gonzalez. Far more that were planting the seed of, you're not going to be able to do it, you're not good, you're not smart. Yeah, yeah. So when yeah. I found out the odds, I said, oh, my gosh. I went and got my application back and took performing arts off the application. mm Mrs. Gonzalez's husband, Mr. Gonzalez, was the school counselor. And he was in charge of all of the applications for high school.
1: Hmm. For the performing arts high school.
2: For for all of he's in charge of every kid like if you uh applied for a specialized school, Mhm. He was the school counselor, the guidance counselor. Oh, gotcha. So yep. he was in charge of all of the applications.
1: Right. Okay. Yep.
2: And because it was her husband, he immediately <laughs> told her, "Dondre took performing arts off of his application for performing arts.
3: Mm. <laughs>
2: I will never forget this. She came into my biology class. <laughs> My teacher, Mr. Winston, I'll never forget these names. I'm in Mr. Winston's biology class. She comes storming into Mr. Winston's class. Excuse me, Mr. Winston. Excuse me for one second. She walks over to me, grabs me by the ear. Old school, right there. Wow, yeah. (laughs) Grabs me by the ear, drags me downstairs to her husband's office makes me put it back on my application. Wow. Dude, you got to connect the dots here. Yeah. Right. If I didn't go to that school, well, uh, it never happened.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: It never happened. I, we not only did I get accepted to the school, Three out of the four kids from our school that auditioned for performing arts got in.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah.
2: Okay. So then, where Mrs. Gonzalez leaves off, Mr. Aitzen takes over. This is a white man who, at this point, I don't have very many great relationships with white people. Based on where I grew up
1: sure. right yeah,
2: all of the white brothers and sisters that I've ever experienced in my life at that point were either police officers who cracked the heads of those that I love or condescending teachers who told me I would never amount to anything
0: right yeah. sure yeah.
2: that was the experience my experience of, of white people at that point. So now in comes Mr. Abson the complete antithesis of everything I've ever seen or experienced in my life. Wow. I'll never forget it. We moved into this, uh, brand new building, which was, uh, a part of Lincoln center. It was a brand new building. It wasn't even completely finished yet. Wow! They were still finishing our theater when we moved into the building. Wow. Right.
1: That's cool.
2: So the, it was down in the basement, the place was always cold. We always had to wear all black so that we could uh, be seen as equals. So anything of any uh, individuality, you had to take off.
1: Hmm.
2: So you had to wear a black shirt, black tights. That was it. So that everybody could be seen as one. Right. Wow. Well. It is freezing downstairs. <laughs> I don't have a sweater on. It's It's freezing. Mr. Aitken comes over. He used to smoke a pipe. And he comes over with this sweater. And it's a ratty, kind of, you know, old, you know, sweater. And he sees me shivering. He takes his sweater off. And he puts his sweater around me. Now... As a kid, in an environment that grew up very much homophobic, right, mm-hmm. um, and untrusting of white people, mm. I was like, "What the? We get this?
0: What the? Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right."
2: But all of a sudden, the warmth of that sweater was too much to deny.
3: Mm.
2: So I kept the sweater. Went through class And it was like In that moment I saw My teacher For the first time Wow I saw his humanity Yeah And I saw that He saw my humanity Yeah And that changed my life Yeah It changed the way That I saw People Particularly my white brothers And sisters And that I couldn't See them all same way. Wow. I realized that I was doing the same thing to white people that many white people that I was experiencing were doing to me.
1: Right. Sure.
2: Wow. Right. Which is living out of stereotype.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. To this day, I teach my kids that we don't choose our friends because of color. We choose them because of character. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So good. Right. And he like took me to like, like every time I had one instructor, Like it was like scuba diving, right? So at first we we snorkeled and then we went down and like free dive for a second. Mr. Aveson gave me like my first tank where we went scuba diving
3: Mm.
2: where we went deep, um, about my acting, about race, about humanity, about connection, all of it. He changed, he changed the way I saw the world and that change in the way that I saw the world was necessary because it got me to believe that I could be the things that I was aspiring to be as an actor.
1: Wow. That's awesome.
2: And at that point at 15 years old, that's when I got the Cosby show, which was my first job,
1: Mm
3: -hmm. I was still
2: going to performing arts uh, at the time. And his contribution, all that was so pivotal, but, God put all of those three mavericks in my life. Mrs. Jackson, Mrs. Gonzalez, and Mr. Abson. Without the three of them, I w- I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Wow. I, I mean, not about this.
0: Yeah, it's incredible <laughs> to think that, like, um, I mean, I, I say this in, like, a just, you know, I'm not meaning it to be belittling, but, like, only three people had such a huge impact on your entire right. life. Right. Yeah.
2: Right. It, it doesn't, and it doesn't even, to be honest with you, like it doesn't even take that many. Hmm. Like you literally could have, you know, everybody as like God uses so many people as ingredients. Right. Mm-hmm. To like what yeah, your yeah. story is, but, you only really need a couple that like change really your life's trajectory mm. they just have to you know like I tell my my kids, you don't need a lot of friends, you just need the right friends, yeah, so you yeah. don't need a lot of influences you just need the right influences
1: yeah true mm-hmm. All
2: right and and that really is like that really uh has always been. So profound um, to me that those, to your point, those few people had such a profound and lasting impact on my life, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I would dare say that anybody who does anything significant can point to, you know, one, two, or three people that really made that kind of significant contribution that changed, you know, their trajectory.
0: Yeah sure for sure
1: yeah those acts of kindness from those particular individuals at the right time made a lasting in in
0: um and just being able to go against grain too like yeah you know he he could have easily been exactly like every other experience that you've had but he you know chose not to totally yeah
1: totally yeah that's really cool
0: man um so so where where did you go from there uh did you because you said you were on Cosby show um
2: yeah that was my first can you Dude, that was <laughs> yeah, my that's right. first, yeah. <laughs> dude that's like that's the equivalent of being like uh, like uh, they're putting a like a a, a a group together you're just learning like a, a, a an instrument yeah and then somebody says all right cool um we're going to have you uh, start playing uh, with Earth, Wind, and Fire. You know <laughs> right? <just play>.
0: yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what? Yeah. That's awesome. Right. But I just learned what a chord was. Yeah. 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 You're like, dude, right. I,
2: just, I, I, just, I just got a freaking a, a, a Fender pick. yeah fender pick. right, Right.
3: right yeah. Yeah.
2: They're like, yeah, don't, don't worry about that. You're going to be playing with Earth, Wind, and Fire. You're like, yeah, you're good. Uh, 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 okay. Okay. Yeah, like it was. That was the equivalent of that. Like this was the show. I didn't get on the show when it first came on the air. I came on like season uh, three, where it's like at its height.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, dude. I remember watching that as a kid. Everybody was watching that show. Who didn't?
2: Who didn't? Who didn't, dude? It transcended everything. It it wasn't about race. No. It was about uh. It was about family, and it was about. Uh, comedy. Yep, and that's universal, bro. It Everybody is. Everybody was watching that. It
1: is. That was the I best show joke, on TV back then.
2: Totally. Like I, I often joke that in my neighborhood, um, the the safest time in my neighborhood was on Thursday nights between eight o'clock and eight thirty. Because nobody was home that, watching. Because because yeah. even the criminals were inside. Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah man.
2: That's true story.
0: Wow. So what Crazy. took you what took you to LA then? How long did that how long were you in New York then?
2: So I was in New York from um I, I got on the Cosby show at fifteen and did up a bunch of other things like um uh, did a soap opera called "Another World" for a little while. I did some after-school specials. I did one one national commercial, uh, a Tide uh, Tide commercial, hmm. um, which actually uh, Latanya Richardson, who is Sam Jackson's wife,
0: mm-hmm. yeah,
2: played my mom in that commercial, which is <laughs> hilarious. Huh. Um, uh, to this day, like when I see her, she goes, "Son,
1: um, <laughs> that's funny, It's
2: hilarious." So, um, yeah. um, uh, and then I did, uh, um, I did, uh, all my children okay. for three years in New York. So at around 26, I came out to Los Angeles, um, and I didn't want to come,
3: mm, Okay. um,
2: I'm a New York guy. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm just an East Coast guy. I'm just a, I'm a, I'm an East Coast guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, there's the
1: best coast, and then there's the West Coast, right?
2: Dude, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly, right? Yeah. So I was like, yeah, man, I'm good. I'm going back home. Um, And here's what brought me out here. It was so funny. At the time, Spud Webb, who was playing with the um, – Sacramento Kings
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, had a golf tournament. The guy who played my father on all my children, Richard Lawson, um, was a scratch golfer. And he taught me uh, the game of golf. Wow. And I went out to, uh, I came out here to play in Spud's golf tournament. And while the two of us were, were there, and, and he, he said, uh, he said, while you're out here, why don't you come back down to, uh, Southern Cal with me and take some meetings while you're out here. And I was like, mm, no, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, no man, you need to come and be, I was like, mm, no, actually I don't like I should just, I could just go back. I should go back home. Yeah. I want to go back home. Yeah. We had an argument mm-hmm. in uh, the Ritz Carlton Hotel. <laughs> and I don't know if you know, at, back then, I, I, in my book, I, I talk about how there's two versions of myself: Rupert mm-hmm. Andre yeah. kind of yeah. and Disciple D'Andre. Yep. And so Brooklyn Dre spoke a completely different way that Dondre, that that disciple Dondre, does it. So So Brooklyn Dre showed up. (laughs) Yeah. So he and I are arguing in the middle of the Ritz Carlton Hotel. And I got to tell you, there were a whole bunch of our white brothers and sisters in that hotel. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I apologize to any of you guys because I know (laughs) that was extremely uncomfortable. Two black guys Two black guys in the middle of the Ritz crossing hotel. They thought for sure there was going to be a death.
1: Oh no! And we oh, no. we
2: really we really that's just the way we talk the way we talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. Like you would think, like you know, you're cursing and like yeah. somebody's going to die. We're like, no, that just means we love each other. Right? Yeah, yeah.
1: So, <laughs> we not like, We're just not seeing eye to eye. <laughs> just, that's all. That's,
2: yeah. No, this is just the way we tell each other that we love each other <laughs> and that we're being passionate about our position. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So literally, we're like having this argument. And finally I just acquiesced. I said, okay, look, I'll go down there for a week and, and take a couple of meetings. Now here's what's hilarious. I said, I'm going to go down for a week. If I don't get a job in a week, I'm going home. Now what's hysterical about that is, is anybody who knows anything about the entertainment industry a week is like a day,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. not even a day. Yeah. It's like yeah. a, like
2: an hour. Like dude. nothing's like, gonna
1: happen in a week. Yeah, nothing's right. gonna yeah.
2: happen in a week, bro. Right. Yeah, you could be there for weeks. You know what? It sounds Plural. it sounds very familiar happens.
1: to your plan of uh, going yes. to the to the to the drama rehearsal instead of yes, detention, dude. and then getting out yes. of it. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yes, yes. It's, like, it's I was a like, setup. <laughs> Yes, it's just like, I literally, I'm just going to, I'm going to, you know, I, I'll just placate this dude. Like, I, you know, I, I, let me just satisfy him.
1: Right, right, right. right. Let me
2: just sit there go through these motions or go through a week. I know I'm not going to get a job in a week. I'll go home. Everything will be fine. Yeah. Right? yeah. Okay. Dude, I get that. We get there. We, I drove down with him from Sacramento because he had driven up in his truck. Drive back down with him we get there late, uh, to, uh, to Luca Lake late Sunday night. I had a couple of meetings on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I Had an audition for this one show by Friday. They said, um, can you come and do a, uh, a, a, a test with the audience, with the uh, network on Monday? I said, no, sorry. Um, I had already got, you know, I, I made my ticket, So I was going to be here for a week. So I'm actually leaving tomorrow. So, you know, I'm sorry. And they were like, what? They, they were like, what? What?
0: I was shocked that you would be I was like, yeah, yeah
2: sorry. <laughs> now, here's what's so, so like. You, wait,
0: like, no,
1: people don't tell us no.
2: <laughs> like, like, wait, it? what? Nobody tells us no. Yeah, what are you yeah, about? Yeah. So I literally, during that time, the Unabomber threatened to blow up LAX.
0: I don't know if you remember that. Oh, wow. Oh, man.
1: I, I remember the Unabomber. I don't remember the LAX yes. threat, but yeah. He,
2: he threatened to blow up LAX.
1: Wow. <laughs> so your flight was canceled.
2: And so what? No, no, no. The flight was not canceled. The flight was not canceled. I sat there and I said, well... If you're not gonna, like, first of all, somebody who's gonna blow something up, they're not gonna tell you they're gonna yeah, blow it yeah, up. Right, yeah, yeah right. That's weird. They'll, they'll just blow it up, right? So I was like, come on. But then, I'm from the street. I know people who are crazy, the, the people who are elevated crazy <laughs> are the ones that will tell you they are gonna do it mm, mm-hmm. and do it. Yeah. And I was like, now, how ridiculous will you feel when you're dead?
1: Mm,
3: right. And the
2: guy told you he was going to blow it up. Right. Oh, yeah. So I was like, that literally got me to cancel my flight plan that weekend. Oh, wow. So I stayed through the weekend and I was like, well, while I'm here, I may as well just go ahead. Yeah, do the so callback. Right. On Monday, I did the uh, test for the network and before I could before I could get in my car and drive off the lot, my agent called me and said, you got to go back home and get your stuff. (laughs) And I was like, no, once I go back home, I'm home. I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm not, I'm back. You're like, no, 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 no. You have to go back home and get your stuff and come back because you just got this job.
1: Wow. And what job, what was the job?
2: It was called, the show was called the crew back then, they did. Uh, they they had, had uh, They had already greenlit this show for a, a full season. It was created by Mark Cherry, who's the creator of Desperate Housewives.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Mark Cherry created this show, um, and uh, and we had a full season. So I w- literally went back home. I shipped my truck back out here. Got some stuff. Came back out here. And I had a job all whole season. Who does? I got a job in literally one week. Yeah. Wow.
1: <laughs> that's, that's awesome.
2: One week I had a job that was on the air for a We season. We, we went on, uh, we were on at uh, right after Living Single. Okay. So, yeah. like, literally like that. Now, it was, you know, one hit wonder, but after that, Every single year, and this is the power of attraction. Watch how crazy this is. I hated California. <laughs> hated California. <laughs> Couldn't wait to get the freak out of here, dude. I was like, as soon as this job is over, I'm, I'm out. out. <laughs> yeah. People were like, my agent was like, hey, w- before you leave, can you w- will you go in and see this? In- no, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah, but these people really want to see you. Tell them, send them a picture. Tell them, thank you. And they'll thank you. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> my agent would always talk me into, like, taking one meeting. Mm-hmm. And then I would take that one meeting and get that job, dude. <laughs> it was like, here, here's why. And th- this has been my theory. And, I, and I'm going to tell you how crazy it gets, right? So, I... Walked in. I already. I'm already from New York, so I'm already right. walking in with the screw, screw you attitude. Right. right. Yep. Which which people in this industry love. Yeah. Like if you come in with a oh, hi, yeah, my name is Do- I, I. I really, I, I really wish. I hope that you guys. I nah. Uh, <laughs>
3: <laughs> right? Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. They're like nah. You come in there going, Yeah, what's up? So what? Yeah, so yeah. All right, fine. Yeah. And I couldn't care less. Yeah, and yeah. Okay guys. I feel like that guy's that guy's a genius. We gotta have him. Gotta (laughs) have him (laughs) gotta have him. He told us to go screw ourselves like three times. <laughs> gotta have him. Yeah. Like I literally had that attitude. Yeah. I didn't want to be here. I right. didn't want any of those shows. Right. I didn't want to be here. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was like the best cologne in the world. Oh, for, it's sure. Like <laughs> for sure. It's like a it's like a married guy who's wearing his ring and goes out somewhere. Got women all over the place, They're like, right. dude? Right. I, if I would have known this when I was single, I would have I got me. a
1: ring, yeah. Yeah, it
2: ridiculous. It's the best cologne in the world. Right? Well, yeah, and because, the fact
1: that you didn't—I mean, you were like—you didn't care, and you weren't enamored. Period. You weren't enamored by who they were period. or what they were offering. No. You were like, nah, I, no, I, like I'm good. No. I don't, I don't need this. No. Then like, they
2: think about this for a yeah. second. Uh, 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 an actor comes in for an audition and knows that they're auditioning for a show that's already been greenlit for an entire season. Right. Do you know how people were coming in there like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, like.
1: Oh, yeah, on their hands and knees. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. And meanwhile, I'm walking in there going, hey, you know what, guys? Like looking at your watch, like, can can I get get out of here? Yeah, Yeah, can I get out of here? Thank you. guys. Are we done? We done? All right, good. Thank you, guys. All right. Jesus Christ. Like, literally, it was like that. Yeah. And that is that. That literally is what kept me here. I literally had every single year. I got another show for four straight years. Right. Yeah. Four straight years, trying to leave.
1: Right. Trying, trying to leave. To leave.
2: <laughs> right. So yeah. I literally get this, and and, and kept getting these shows because I didn't care. Right. Right. So now, fast forward. Watch this. Fast forward to a time where my wife and I are married and you know, we have our, you know, first child Parker. And now all of a sudden, um, I'm kind of in this, uh, um, like funk, right? Little slump, right? Can't, can't, just can't get, can't get anything going. And I go and I work with a, a coach, um, which I had seldom done at that point. You know, I've been an industry vet for a long time. Kind of got it all, you know, figured out and everything. Mm -hmm. But I needed to kind of shake some stuff up. So I started working with this coach. And she tells me, and she says to me, we're doing this one scene. I'm working on this uh, audition piece. And she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, you know, this is what they're going to want. And she's like, what do you mean that's what they're going to want? Who cares what they want? And I was like, what are you talking about? I said, what are you talking about? She's like, she's like, who cares what they want? You have to give them what you want them to have. Mm. And I said, oh, this lady's crazy." I'm like, I'm an <laughs> industry vet. I've been doing this for thirty, you know, thirty uh, some years. I'm like, no, this. I'm giving them what they want. And she's like, "Listen to me. This is not the way you go about getting jobs. Mm. Did you? Is that is that the way you got them before?" And I was like, "Well." No, not actually. No, not really. <laughs> and she's like, "Well, do you realize that you haven't been getting jobs?" And I said, "Yes." Yeah. Do you realize that it's because your perspective has changed? Mm. And I was like, "Wow, yeah, paradigm." I was like, "Oh, there it is." I'm like, "There it is." Got it. So when I walk, when I started walking back in there with the the take it or leave it, mm-hmm. couldn't care less. Immediately, yeah. immediately started getting jobs. Yeah, immediately. Mm-hmm. When you're hanging on too much, when you're just kind of, right. you know, you're squeezing too tight, you're kind of white knuckling, just kind of, yeah, please. I, I, it's too, it actually takes away all of what your creative force. Would otherwise be. Yeah,
1: right? that's good. So
2: I, that that literally got me to free myself back up of of not worrying anymore about what anybody thought, and being more concerned with what I thought about what they should have. Mm, yeah, because that was that was what was necessary to begin with. Right. Right. Yep. That changed everything. So good. That changed everything. Yeah, man. It it, it, it it got me back into that space of. I'll never forget this. Even in a... a I uh I was negotiating for a a contract, and my uh uh, I I, I won't give the numbers because that would be gross. But so I set a number, and they said they only had a number which was significantly less than what I said. And the network said, well, you know, uh, my agent said, well, you know, if you don't agree to this number, the job could go away. And I was like, well, let the job go away. This was before, this is why my wife and I were like, we were just, we had just gotten married. Mm. So I was still in the mode of not worrying about a child or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Right. Still had the, the screw you mode going, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so my wife is hearing about the number, which is a nice number that they're offering. huh. And I'm like, no, no. I'm like, actually, no, that's not it. Like, this is what this is. Yeah, but it's a job. I'm like, yeah, I know. So literally they would wait and I, I would wait. Then they would tell my agent. Okay. So yeah, we found, X amount more dollars, mm. like inch and closer. Yeah, they're, they're coming up it, a know, little, yeah. Inch mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, tell them thank you, but no thank you. My wife was like, what? I'm like, oh, no. relax, relax. Yeah. You wait for a second, you know, another a couple of hours go by. <laughs> yeah, they found some more in the budget. Mm. They said they could go to so-and-so-and-so-and-so, but they really can't go any further than that. And I was like, hey, tell them I understand But this obviously is not the time that we're supposed to be working together. But again, tell them I'm very appreciative that they, you know, that they dug deep and that they, you know, found all of this other, you know, money. But it's not what my quote is. And no, I'm sorry. My wife is like, oh, my God. I'm like, (laughs) wait for it. (laughs) The the marriage isn't isn't a little bit of turmoil. So literally, we don't hear anything. That day, so now I'm like, oh no, I think I messed up.
1: Well, that was the The end. Next (laughs) day,
2: right? Yeah. Middle of the afternoon, my agent calls me and goes, "You're a genius." So what? Said they came back with everything you wanted. (laughs) I said, awesome.
1: And then you said, said, and then you said, "Nah, it's actually (laughs) more than that now." (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, that was yesterday's quote. Today, it's it's gone up. (laughs)
2: Now, as I have on a smoking jacket with like an ascot. Yep. Now it's going to double. Yeah. So literally, like I was like, "All right, cool. When do we start?" So, I, I say all of that to say that. In this industry, you really have to, there has to be an edge about you, which is why it gets so difficult to navigate when you have a family. Right. Because the thing that takes away your edge are your children. See, when when you, you can gamble away your hunger. Sure. Right. You yeah. can gamble with your hunger. Oh, I don't have, to, oh, I'm not going to eat for two weeks, three yeah. weeks, a month. All right. No sweat. Yeah, but I ate ramen in college. It's all baby, good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. But when now it's about your six-month-old. Yeah. Six-year-old yeah. diapers. Right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. When it becomes that, that takes away the edge. Mm. You know, it's like I had a when I was fourteen years old, was in junior high school. My friend had a leather bomber jacket. Right, I always envied him because I always wanted one, but we could never afford one.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We're in the train station, and we're just about to like come out, and as we're about to go through the doors, two guys pop out, um, and one guy puts the gun to my head
3: mm.
2: and says, "Tell your boy to run his jacket." Mm. Now. There's something that happens to you when you've had a gun pointed at you that, mm-hmm. like, it just, it changes you. Like, you never go back. Right? Oh, yeah. So I could take somebody pointing a gun at my head but not a gun pointed at my children's head. Right. Right? So it's the same thing. Yeah. So it's kind of like, like, I can take whatever you, you know, what you have directed at me but I don't want that same hostility directed at my children. Yeah. And that's why it's so difficult navigating this industry with children, because the edge that's necessary for you to be hungry, for you to stand up for yourself, for you to deny certain things for the sake of your battle, for the sake of your fight, for the sake of what you're worth gets taken away from you when you're now fighting as a provider.
1: Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep
2: because you're almost willing to take anything for the sake of you being considered a provider.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: That's how this gets really tricky.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That is so good. And just the paradigm shift of of what that yeah, looks like in Oh yeah. not not caring about getting the gig and then all of a I, sudden you, you Absolutely care a hundred percent about getting the gig because of all the other responsibilities that you now have, and um, totally.
2: And it robs it robs you of your creativity. Yeah, it robs you of your edge. Right now, now instead of being a maverick, instead of being inventive, instead of being a creative, you become a company man.
1: Right. Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's dangerous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because you know you you that that sacrifice of self versus yeah. sacrificing you know the the wife and the family and the kids and, and oh, is a, is a completely different sacrifice that you Total. know
0: yeah Total. so <laughs> h- how have how have these experiences led you to um kind of you know uh, basically lead you to what your book is about um, which is this male versus man thing um, how, how is this all tied in together with that
2: so what's what's really interesting about this is that um, my father um, you know was was a street hustler my father was um, in and out of jail uh, for most of my adolescence so I never got the messaging of manhood mm-hmm. that I really needed and um, you know even at six years old you know my, my dad took me you know from my mom he kidnapped me from my mom um, um, at 12 um, I remember he you know he told me we were in the car I even I account a lot of this in the, um, in the book as well where we're in his car as a great car and um, sitting there, and he says, You know, I love your mother, and I would do anything for her, which is what any kid wants to hear, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, his parents love each other. And so as he said that to me, in the very next breath, he looks out of the, his driver's side window and cat calls out to a woman across the street. Mm-hmm. Now, while he didn't say it, the messaging that I got, was that you can love one woman and lust after many, mm.
3: Mm.
2: and that day, literally ignited or 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 began my trajectory as a cheater. Mm. So there were a great many things that I didn't get from my father, and the things that I did get from my father were not good.
3: Right. Wow.
2: So all of the things that all the times where I've hit my head um, up against life's brick wall. It, it left me wondering what, what was I really missing?
3: Sure. Yeah.
2: What was that? What was I missing? Right. And I, at 26 years old, I, I was on All My Children at the time I found my father In, in Brooklyn um, Picked him up We had a brief conversation And Big B was Going to speak up for little me
3: mm.
2: And So Brooklyn Dre was going to tell You know his father Finally you know Look if I ever see you again One of us is going to lose Our life. It's not going to be me I said it a lot differently that way uh, at <laughs>
0: yeah. that time, but, you know, Right,
2: right Fill in, fill in, fill in those blanks yeah. So 26 So Fast forward 20 years My father and I Had been estranged from each other hmm. My daughter who was 11 At that time Came and sat next to me on the couch And just asked me a very simple But profound question She said Do you know where your father is? I did know And, but I knew that the answer that I was going to give her nothing that I was going to be able to tell her was going to be good enough, a good enough reason as to why I was cheating her out of a grandparent.
3: Mm. Hmm.
2: So I had to go and I found my father. I flew back to, uh, uh, the East coast to go to my goddaughter's graduation. And while I was there in Connecticut, I went, I drove uh, to Brooklyn, um, tracked my dad down, and we began to reconcile. Mm. And what was great was uh, my father was a man of faith, like me. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: It was a different faith, right? He had found Islam in prison, Mm. but we were two men of faith. Mm Mm-hmm which was phenomenal. Um, he respected my faith. I respected his, as every righteous man should. Sure, mm-hmm, sure. Um, I don't get into the, you know, my God is better than your God uh, thing. Um, And I have very little patience for anyone who really does. Mm-hmm.
1: Right,
3: yep.
2: Um, because then that's about us judging. Right. And that's not my job. Right. Like, there's only one way to handle it. When we go and we get in front of our God, we'll get it figured out. And and God, God will have the power of judging that. That's not my assignment here on this earth. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. So
2: literally like after 20 years of being estranged from each other, I, uh, we, we finally reconciled. And what I finally got to that, that allowed me to reconcile with my father was this. My father could not father me because he himself was unfathered.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. It's a good point.
2: My father couldn't give me something that he never had.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a ripple effect, you know?
2: Yes. So as a 46 at that time, that was five years ago. So at that time being 46, I, I realized that while I didn't need my father To father me because I was already a father twice over and, you know, at 46 and really, you know, in my space, what I needed to be as a righteous man was not so much to be a son to my father, but be a brother to my father. Right. Mm. Mm -mm. As a godly man. Mm -hmm. To give my father what my father never got from society, what my father never got from his father. Right. Well, my father never got from his uh, home environment. Right. And that did a lot for me, man. It changed it changed everything in me because it, it it allowed me to stop seeing my father as his 70-year-old self and placing all the expectations that I had placed on him that would come with, you know, what a 70 year old person should be able to deliver, mm-hmm. but instead of seeing my father as his 70 year old self, I saw my father as his seven year old self mm. mm. whose who's development got arrested because he never got the messaging that he should have gotten. Yeah, and so subsequently, he was ill prepared to give it to me. Yeah, yeah, and once I saw my father, as my brother, who never got what he needed, that allowed me to have the empathy that was necessary for us to really, truly reconcile.
1: Wow, that's so deep. Yeah, and so that good.
2: healed me. Yeah, and 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 I realized that a lot of what I get or what I have is from my father. Like as a speaker, like that's from my father. My 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 father is a speaker, right? And so I. Literally said, you know, wow, my father could have been a great man had he had great information and great instruction.
3: Mm.
2: Right? I always draw this analogy every time I talk to a young male that I'm trying to get to matriculate into his manhood. I always ask him this question: Name me your favorite athletes. And a lot of kids like basketball, so they usually point to like, you know, the LeBrons and Kobe's and Michael Jordans, and right. And I said, okay, name me the things that those brothers have in common. And they go, talent, drive, uh, perseverance, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I go, yeah, you guys are missing one thing. They all had coaching. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: No great basketball player ever became great without great coaching. Right. So they had coaching from AAU, the high school, the college college to the pros and I said now watch this here's what you're really going to love as a player moves up where his platform gets bigger so from high school to NC 2A to NBA those platforms get higher there's more uh, get bigger there's more at stake when there's more at stake you don't get less coaching you get more coaching yeah. So as a yeah. professional, now you got a shooting coach, you got defensive coaches, mm-hmm, you got a nutritionist, yeah. which is a food coach, right. you got a strength and conditional coach, you might have a mental coach, you got all these coaches. Why? Because there's more at stake. Yeah. Right. So watch this. If we know that you need great coaching to become a great basketball player, why is it that we don't think that we need great coaching to become a great man?
1: Hmm. That's a good question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So.
2: What I really began asking myself was, okay, I want to write the playbook for manhood, that if my father had it, he could have become a great man. Mm. I'm fortunate enough and blessed enough to be in the the life of my 11-year-old son, so he has me as his manhood drill instructor.
1: Right, yep.
2: But if God calls me home earlier than anticipated, I want the playbook for manhood to be here for my son. Right. So between my father and my son, that's what motivated me to write male versus man.
1: Well, and there's such a huge uh, need for this um, because society around us is got a lot of shiny objects and caters and caters to the whims and the the desires and the reactions um you know and really wants to keep males in that male category and not really become men of character um And that's and, and I appreciate you know what I've read so far in the book. Uh, you know, it's not it's not race specific. Um, it's not at all. I, cause I, it
2: was written without that,
1: right? And I'm so grateful for mm-hmm. that because for me, as you know, my I grew up without a dad. Um, you know, my dad and mom split up when I was two, and and then I got to watch my mom go through these horrific dating scenarios yes. for you yeah. know, the next number of years. It, that and,
2: was devastating, I'm certain. Yeah,
1: and, yeah. um, and I didn't really have, and, and my stepdad, who my mom did end up with, really was still more in the male space. And, mm-hmm. and I think I had an expectation of, of him delivering on, on the manhood message. Yep. And, and never really got that. Um, yep. You know, and I, I I still struggle with some of those issues even today, even though I've had many other uh, men of great character, including yourself in my life at some point that's, that's helped me to, you know, realize and learn some things that I didn't get. And mm-hmm. um, I, I'm so in, inspired and grateful that, that you're, you're using your platform and your influence to really bring this message, um, you know, first for your son and then for your dad as well, but really for this massive gap in, in culture and, you know, and I think that really helps. I mean, learning to take personal responsibility, just that alone mm-hmm. is so huge. Um, Definite. and, uh, you know, becoming a, a a person of character, and and being judged on your character as opposed to the number of likes or the type of whip that you rolled up in, you know, uh, yes. or the zip code that you live in, um, is so it it feels like it's been lost. In for yep. for you to shine a spotlight on this and and really. Uh, bring hope and encouragement and inspiration in a space that that needs it so desperately that honestly offers a big it offers a big uh, solution to a lot of problems um, yeah. the, the 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 trickle the ripple effect you know as Zach mentioned earlier the, is that you know in a positive way helps us to change and make lasting change and I think that's what we're looking for I think people are hungry for that um, you know I don't think Definitely. it's an, I don't think it's an accident that we're we're having this conversation on Juneteenth of, of all days, right. and, of all days. Yep. Um, and you know I, I was inspired by your Father's Day March um, though I'm not super fired up about Father's Day personally because you know this is my first Father's Day without my son Right. And it's hard. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think that what what you're doing is really making a difference. And and I think what's really exciting about that is, is that, you know, if anybody had any reason to serve themselves or the resources to serve themselves, it would be you. But you're you you're taking that higher road and you're choosing to serve others and 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 you're doing it in a way that's 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 making an impact and making a difference and that's that's a great example i think even as filmmakers right we you know we we love this art of of film we love the art of of acting and we 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 love being able to tell these stories but really what we love more than that underneath that is making a difference. Mm. These stories that we're telling to help change the narrative or these stories that we're telling help make a lasting change for the better. And, you know, to kind of bring it full circle, I think, you know, that's, that's why we're here. And, I'm I'm grateful that you've, you you've taken this time to spend with us and talk through these things because you know I think that's the that's one of the things that's missing you know I think for our white brothers and sisters that that need to not be afraid to have uncomfortable conversations. Totally, because it's the it's the key to our growth. Exactly, and I I think people mm-hmm. need to push past their comfort. You know, take a page out of what you're doing, push past your comfort and be willing to stand, take a stand and be willing to be uncomfortable, be willing to be willing to walk alongside each other so that we can have better understanding so that we can have more empathy, more love, more kindness, more gentleness, more of those godly characteristics that are going to make this a better place. No question. Um, I mean, what, what would, what is something that, uh, that you could, you know, obviously there, there's, you, you're doing it. There's a huge platform. Uh, but maybe just a few practicals that, that you could help, um, educate people, um, that maybe don't understand. They don't understand the oppression. They don't understand the, the, you know, um, how racism has, has hurt, um, you know, the black community, how racism has hurt, how racism has, has hurt the, the, the community at large. Um, and it's, and it's true in, in the film industry as it, as it is in society. So, you know, it's, um, maybe just a couple of quick practicals that, that can help
2: us. Yeah, definitely. And those are easy. Right. Um, um, and I say easy from the, the standpoint of, because I've had the benefit of being in this, this skin for 51 years in this country, I realize that my struggle as just being a, um, a black man in America the struggle has always been that our unconscious white brothers and sisters, and I say that because I consider it two, two, two different sides of that. There's our conscious white brothers and sisters, like yourself. I don't know uh, Zach's background, but uh, if he is, I'm pretty certain that he's uh, just as conscious or so you guys wouldn't be in, a, in alignment.
1: Yeah.
0: That's fair to uh, say. Yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah. Um, And then there's unconscious white America um, who wants to remain that way,
0: Mm.
2: and Mm. they can't see my humanity because they can't get past my hue. Mm. Isolation breeds ignorance. Ignorance breeds fear.
0: Right. Yeah. Right.
2: So if I don't have any. It's, it's very easy for you to hate something that you never allow yourself to be around. <laughs> right. Right, because there's no way for you to... You, you can easily dehumanize something that you're never around.
3: Right, You sure. can
2: make it the boogeyman, you can make it monstrous, you can make it all of those things, right, because you're never around it, right? So you can, you can uh, uh, marginalize and dehumanize a uh, black people when you surround yourself with uh, unconscious white people who simply say to you, yeah, everything that you're saying, everything that you're feeling is absolutely right. Right Mm -hmm. now, watch how easy this is uh, to do. If you are a white brother or sister who happens to be unconscious and you come from unconscious white Parents, grandparents, all of those things, what they're going to do is they're going to teach you what they were taught. Right. Okay. So think of it like this. I just told you that I was missing manhood messaging, right? Because my father didn't give it to me.
3: Mm-hmm. And the reason
2: why my father didn't give it to me was because, was because what? He didn't, he wasn't giving it himself. Right. right. So the same exact thing, it's the trickle down effect. I'm going to get what the last generation got, because mm. that's all they have to give me. Right. So if the last generation, if my parents did, uh, had a lack of understanding, they can't give me understanding. If they lack awareness, they can't give me awareness. If they lack consciousness, they can't give me consciousness. Right? Mm. And many people think of it like cancer. Do you mm. know how many people are walking around our society right now who are walking around with cancer?
3: Yeah. Because it's quite they don't know
2: they have it.
3: Right. Mm, yeah.
2: You can only treat what you have been diagnosed for.
1: Mm.
2: But if everybody around you has cancer, you're not cancerous. Right. But if other people around you are healthy and then they diagnose diagnose you as having cancer now you know whoa, whoa, whoa I gotta make it everybody else around me is healthy and I gotta figure out a way to get myself back to the space of health and wholeness.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Right? Yeah. But if everyone around you is has cancer, it's easy for you to remain cancerous. Right. So for us, we gotta get out of this space of isolating ourselves and get out and um like I literally had this call um I, I built this you know one of my favorite um one of my favorite scriptures from the you know book, book of proverbs is is you know that a, a wise man seeks counsel and yeah. we actually went through this when you know when we were studying eric yeah um and i i'll never forget it man it, it it became as soon as i heard it 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 became my uh it became my favorite as soon as i heard it and to this day, every crucial decision, since I began subscribing to that notion, to that scripture, every critical decision that I ever make in my life, I, I make with the benefit of counsel. Mm. So from my book to this rally, I have a 14-man counsel of matters on that council because, you know, we're still very close. We play golf together and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I've got like five uh, brothers who happen to be white. Like I hate saying, I hate saying like that, like, you know, white, you know, because I, I I am not colorblind and I don't want anybody to be colorblind. Mm -hmm. I actually want you to see my color. Mm -hmm. Right. Because our differences is what makes us beautiful, bro. hundred percent. If we all look the same, right? Yeah. It would be ridiculous. Yeah. It's like how boring think would people that be? Like a, <laughs> that would be ridiculous. Yeah. It would be dumb. I'd be like, game over. I'm, I'm out, guys. I think I'm good. Yeah. Like, think of people like a, a, a work of art, like yeah. a painting. Well, what makes art or this painting beautiful? Its lines. Mm-hmm. Its color. Mm-hmm. Right. And that piece of art that you're thinking about uh, getting is different than every other piece of art in your, in your home. Yeah. So you appreciate the different lines. You appreciate the different color, right? Yeah. That's what makes it beautiful. Well, as people, we're the same thing, dude. We come in many colors. That's what we're supposed to do. We're yeah. supposed to appreciate the beauty of, of uh, of our uh art self that god literally created us off of a like a different space of canvas, canvas and because of our individual lines and colors that's what distinguishes us as being different but that's what makes us beautiful yeah what yeah. makes us great is our consciousness so it's not about our color it's about our consciousness Yeah. When James Brown said, I'm black and I'm proud, he wasn't talking about color. Because Malcolm X and Huey P. Newton and all of these other important um, civil rights leaders were all of different colors, and many of them were extremely light.
1: Yeah.
2: So he wasn't talking about color, he was talking about consciousness. Yeah. Yep. So in my march on Sunday, I talk about how all fa- fathers are, uh, I'm calling on all fathers to come together, many colors, one consciousness. Yeah. So I created this council of men of many colors, but of one consciousness. And that consciousness is, is that we want equality and justice for all of our families. Right. Well, right now as men of clarity, we recognize that our black brothers and sisters are being denied that.
1: Totally. Right? Yep.
2: Right? And so uh e- inequality and injustice for any of our families is too many of our families. Right. And and as men, as godly men, as fathers, we have to come together. Dude, if something were going wrong and 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 uh y- you and your family were being marginalized, and you were being dehumanized, you were being devalued, you were being vilified, you were being attacked. You know in a freaking heartbeat that I would be at your doorstep going, Let's roll. Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. Because I don't play that, bro. Right. I roll for my people, man. Yeah. And when I say my people, I'm talking about one race. Yeah. And that is human. Yeah. Everybody has been selling us the, you know, oh, the black race, the human race. Stop that bro there's no such thing right there's one race as my sister jay elliott who happens to be a white sister said we are the we are one race which is the human race yeah that is absolutely the truth even our brother uh, our white brother and sister anthropologists have also backed that up we mm-hmm. come from one a uh, 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 bone of people in africa we all come from the same bone structure we are one freaking race bro yeah and we just gotta stop the, the stuff that says, "Oh no, you're di- oh I'm not messing with you. Oh, you wear jeans? Yeah, I don't I don't mess with people who wear jeans. <laughs> oh, you're a Republican? Right, yeah, right. I don't mess with people who are Republicans. <laughs> oh, you got veneers? Yeah, I don't mess with people who wear veneers. Oh, I mean, you're a vegan? Yeah. yeah, I don't mess with people who are vegan. Like we literally come up with so you play checkers? Yeah, I play Chinese checkers. i don't, I don't mess with that. Yeah. Like literally." Like we come up with the most ridiculous thing to prevent each other from seeing each other and honoring each other's humanity, dude. I'm over it, man. I'm done with it. Which is why when I came up with this uh, rally, I literally sat up in my my bed. This is two weeks ago. And I said, God, and I speak to God like we're having a conversation right now. I said, God, I know you want me to do something. what do you want me to do? And God said, get my sons together, get fathers together. And I said, okay, black fathers. Okay, God, got it. Okay. I'm on it. I'm on it. Said, No, not black fathers. You could do that. You've done that already. Mm -hmm. You are black. Mm -hmm. I said, all my sons, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: all fathers. I'm like, off you trying to get me killed. Do you know what racial climate we're in right now? I'm like no man, I can't do that. Said, even my my own people. That goes all the, the way back to Miss Jackson my Hugh, trying to get you beat up. Bro, bro, trying to get me beat up, dude. Everybody's trying to get me beat up, man. I said, no, man, I can't do that. Yeah. I said even my own people, my own, the people of my own hue will vilify me right now because right now in our community, it's about black people. Yeah. We got to, right now, we got to pull in the ranks and we got to take care of each other because we're under attack. I can't do it right now. Mm. I I cannot, I cannot pull that off. And I can hear God clearly saying, I didn't ask you to do that. Mm. What I asked you to do was take the lead and put out the call. Mm. What you can't do, I will do. Mm. I already know what you can and can't do. I will only ask you to do what you are capable of doing if you do it. Mm. Uh Dude, I was sitting there in freaking tears, bawling like I'm at a freaking funeral Mm. because I heard it so vividly. It was so clear. I could see, I could see, I could see the day. I could see, uh, the people, I could see the uh, the power, the impact. I could see, I could see it clear, like I was watching a movie. Wow! And after I got, like, I literally asked myself, I said, "Okay, what are you afraid of? Because something is preventing you from. What are you afraid of?" So tell me the reasons why you should do it. They were endless. They were endless. Tell me the reasons why now you shouldn't do it. Mm. And the only reason I could come up with was what if I'm at city hall by myself mm-hmm. and I can hear it clearly as a man, you have to be okay with that. Mm. Every great man that has ever spoken life into your Dr. King, Malcolm X, Robert Kennedy, uh, uh Muhammad Ali, All of these Mm -hmm. men that have made up, like, my strength as a man, my conviction. And when you make a decision, particularly as a marginalized people, when you make a decision, you got to walk it out.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Everything is about service over self. So right now, you're making it about you. You're making it about your ego, which is your flesh.
3: Mm, Right.
2: And then... As soon as I figured out that I was afraid, that's when I knew I had to do it. Mm. Because when you're not afraid to do something, that means it's not big enough. Right. If you're afraid, that means that there's stuff at stake. Right. There's stuff at stake. You got to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Man. Uh, You know, it's... It's been... um, Awkward, I guess, is is a good way to say it as a as a white person uh, during all of this, um, in the sense of just like where and how do we help? How how do we fix this problem that has clearly not gone away? And how can we um, just come alongside and and be just uh, you know the hands and feet of what? we need to be in this situation and i think i think you touched on so much just immediately um, actionable things there and you know uh, sitting sitting on the on the sidelines and and just saying oh well this is just a you know it's a thing that's happening right now it'll pass or whatever and it's like that's not what does that benefit that's not helping anything Um, it, it, there, there has to be change. And, um, just speaking from a personal, you know, um, viewpoint, like, um, it's, it's been heartbreaking these last few weeks, um, from, from my personal point of view. And it's, um, absolutely opened my eyes to, um, a a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of situations that, you know, I, I would not have really considered or thought about as, much as I currently am uh, before all of this and um, you know I, I just I don't I don't know where I'm going with this but I, I guess I'm just trying to f- to convey the importance of empathy and what we're doing right now is it's so totally. so much more than just um, it, it, you know a white versus black type of a situation like totally. you know it, it's um, well watch this brother let me let me help you because I I hear your heart
2: So let me take care of your heart for a second. Brother to brother, brother to brother. Yeah. I hear and feel your heart. And I want you to know that as your brother, that I love you. And I I appreciate you trying to take care of my heart. If we did more of that, we wouldn't even be in this position.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man
2: here's here's what I want you to know how empathy how important empathy is because you just displayed it in not even knowing what to do just knowing that you 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 need to do something and that i'm okay with failing or not doing the exact right thing but knowing I have to do something and what do I do right and that's what you were doing right yeah, yeah. here's how I want you to know that as a brother how Important empathy is I have empathy for you two As my brothers Who happen to be white Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Cause here's what I want you to get That I get I can't imagine What it must be like As a Brother who happens To be white Now always Preface the happens to Just like I happen to be black
0: totally right? yeah. that's not yeah. what's
2: important what really right. is important is is that we are brothers
3: mm. right
2: right what what is the differentiating space of who we are is just happens to be our hue right right yeah so as i can't imagine what it must be like to be a brother who happens to be white and who has to come to grips with the fact that Somebody, white parent, grandparent, great-grandparent, great grandparents, committed acts of profound atrocity mm-hmm. against mankind. In particular, black brothers and sisters. Because that's somebody's family who, who committed those acts. Yep. Now, what if you find out that was in your family? Mm. What if you find out that was your mother and your father? What if you find out that that was your grandma and grandpa? Right, yeah. Well, what, what then now? What, yeah. do, I not, do I disown my, my mother and father, my, my, my grandmother and, 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 and grandfather? Do I not love, am I not allowed to love them when I find this out? Like, think of it this way. Think of how you would feel if you found out that your father molested a child. Hmm. How devastating that would be, right? Yeah, right. Now, now the, the conflicting nature of being a human being, ask the question. Am I allowed to love my father despite the fact that my father committed committed this profound act of atrocity mm. against another one of my fellow human beings. Mm. So I'm here to tell you as your black brother, I have great empathy for your own struggle. Because in order for you to reconcile where you are, you have to examine your own family's history. You 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 obviously know you don't you're not playing a part in it, right? right. Like mm, I didn't right, do right. that. Yeah. Right? I did I, I didn't own slaves, mm-hmm. right? I didn't have that. But did my family's was my family's wealth built on the back of my black brothers and sisters?
3: Mm.
2: Right? Right. We yeah. got recon- to reconcile We got a we got And my business is my family benefiting from it. Like one of the other things that's that's uh, really difficult for my, my my brothers and sisters who happen to be white is, quote unquote, white privilege. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So my, my white brothers and sisters are struggling with that because they got some of our uh, white brothers and sisters and like, Well, I don't have white privilege because I struggle. Struggle in my life mm-hmm. my family and i we're not making all the ends meet or 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 we're not uber rich right,
1: right? but it's more than that for sure yes indeed i mean yes, indeed. It's, it's we had a conversation yes. um here and you know there's good friends of mine and i'm sure you've probably experienced this get pulled over for no apparent reason no reason and and that doesn't happen to me no, that's what right. white privilege right.
2: is. Totally. That, that, if, if somebody, yeah. if, if they call the police over
1: hmm.
2: where you and Zach are right now, police officers are going to come over and ask you guys questions. Mm-hmm. If they get called over to where me and my friend Hashani are, they're going to come over taking actions first and then ask questions. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. That's
0: that's that's really
2: that that's that's the, the privilege. Highlight.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, right. It's not to say so, that yeah, you you as a white person or or a black person don't have struggles.
2: Not that you right y- exactly. You're yeah. exactly. not treated the exactly. same
0: way. The
1: privileges is, is, right. is a different uh, paradigm of mm. treatment. And, totally. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Where where you might, I saw a um, and I'm actually getting ready to post the whole string, um. A woman who is, she's an executive producer on a couple of shows, actually. Let me just see this real quick, because i got to have her name. I always hate that. Sure. Like, sure. I always feel like, is this, is this early onset of Alzheimer's? <laughs> um,
1: well, you know, we are 51 yeah, now. Dude, dude, <laughs> I can't,
3: I can't even acknowledge that number, bro. It's
2: hurtful.
1: <laughs>
2: so, her name is Krista, her name is Krista uh, Or Vernoff, and um, she made this uh, post uh, about uh, the fact that uh, she was talking about all of these uh, things when she was a uh, when she was a kid, Mm -hmm. and how she was running. She's a producer on uh, Grey's Anatomy. That's it. Dang it.
1: Okay.
3: Great anatomy okay.
2: Okay. and uh station station 19. Um, and she, uh, talks about these great, like, uh, all these great stories, right? She goes, um, uh, uh, she starts off one with, when I was 15, I was chased through the mall by police and they were yelling at me. Stop. I had thousands of dollars stolen uh, of stolen merchandise on me I was she said I was caught booked and sentenced to six months of probation I was required to see my parole officer weekly and I was never even handcuffed right Yeah. then she goes on to say When I was 18, I was pulled over for drunk driving. When the police officer asked me to blow into the breathalyzer, I pretended to have asthma and insisted I couldn't blow hard enough to get a reading. So the officer laughed and then asked one of my friends to blow. And when they came up sober enough to drive, he let me move to the passenger seat of my car and go home with just a verbal warning.
0: Hmm. Wow.
2: All right. Then she says, when I was 19, I got angry at a girl for flirting at my sister's boyfriend and drunkenly attacked her in the middle of the party. I swung a, a gallon jug of water, full force at her head. Hmm. Police were called, right? She said, uh, dr- uh, 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 another t- but nothing ever happened. She so when I was 20, with all of my strength, I punched a guy in the face. While we were both standing two feet from a cop, the guy went to the ground, came up bloody, screaming that he wanted me arrested and that he, he, he was pressing charges. The cop pulled me aside and said, you can't punch people in front of cops. He started laughing and said that he wanted her to join the force and that he'd like to have her as a partner. Jeez. and he, he, She was sent into her apartment and told to stay there. So these are the kinds of like she's chronicling and she is more like she's talking about 11, 22. She's all of these like things. Now I'm just going to tell you, I've never done any of those things. Yeah. I've never done any of those things. I literally was pulled over one day here in Los Angeles. I got pulled over and I was ordered out of my truck. Ordered to be face down on the ground. I had shotguns. There were three units. They all had the doors open there, you know, taking cover behind the doors. They all had shotguns and guns out. Wow. They were telling me back up 10 steps. Mm-hmm. Dude, you know how nerve Like yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Walking backwards, first of all, is not like a great thing. <laughs> like, <'cause> that's not, <laughs> right. it's not what you do normally, right? <laughs> I but, can't see and where, and where I'm going. Does, <laughs> Dude, I can't see where I'm yeah. going. Yeah. my equilibrium is like, like. But then throw into the mix that I have shotguns. Oh. And I know that if I if if I potentially if I do anything wrong, it could be my last wrong.
1: Yeah, this is it. Yeah.
2: So, heighten those stakes of walking backwards, which is already. Completely uncomfortable because human beings we don't walk backwards unless you're Michael Jackson and you're on stage. (laughs) (laughs) So and then when they say and then when they say take ten steps and then you're thinking about dying, oh crap, what number am I on?
0: Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: You feel me? Like I'm like holy Oh my God. Oh I
1: took eleven. Oops. (laughs)
2: Oh my God. Officer, what number am I on? Like what you can't do that. (laughs)
3: Yeah, yeah. So
2: now I got a hope that I take the right 10 steps. Right. Did I take a, was it, was my last step? Was that too big? Does that count as one and a half? Yeah. I took a short one, a stutter step. Did they count that as a step? And that was 11. I get count. Is that, where am I doing? Can you, somebody count out for me? Count. <laughs> Can somebody count for me? Wow. All right. Then I get there. Get down on your knees. Put your legs uh, interlock your legs. How do I, like, yoga? Like, what, which, mm. the ankle part? What do, <laughs> knees together knees apart. What? Bro, interlock your hands, put them on the back of your head, now get on your face. Fall on my face? I, my hands are behind my head. I, am I allowed to put my hands down on the ground before I put, or am I going to need dentures for the terrestrial? Like, wow. brother, help me out, bro. Right. Like, yeah. this is the kind of stuff, right? And literally, they put me in a paddy wagon. Mm. They drove my car off the main street, which was Hollywood Boulevard, by mm. the way.
3: Mm.
2: It doesn't get more main than that.
3: Mm. Yeah.
2: And uh, the uh, commanding officer, supervisor, comes out, happens to be. A a, a black uh, guy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He looks in the car. He's like, what? what? so he goes over to the other officers and he's like, question, like, I can't hear them because the, the windows are up. Mm-hmm. But he's like looking, like you know, quizzical, like, what, what, the, what? what? And they're like, yeah, so and so so so. They give him the, my license, blah blah blah. And the supervising officer is like, yeah, bro, this is not. Yeah no no, so they immediately come get me out of the uh, paddy wagon, and now everybody is apologizing because I am uh, uh, because they know that that's not me. Mm. So they're ordered to they're ordered to uh, uh, you know let me go. They yeah. give me you know pro, uh, profusely apologizing. Now my name is Mister Whitfield. Mm. All the wow. stuff right.
3: Yeah,
2: um, and all of that stuff came as a result of just being able to finally have somebody vouch for the fact that I was a human being and not a criminal. Right. And they literally, you know, said, you know, we apologize. You know, we had a a, a, a a description of a of a vehicle um, that looked like yours. It was stolen in New Jersey. And, uh, and you know, so it was stolen and it was, it matched the description. Hmm. So let me get this right. So literally yeah. I, so I stole this car from New Jersey.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I found California plates. Yeah. I put the California plates on there and all of this other stuff, like dude, it just, it, it just got more and more. Incredible.
1: Mm, absurd, like, yeah. So
2: this was literally like, it just was like, thank God there was a uh, an officer there who could vouch for the fact that, again, I was a human being. Right, right. But I was a human being. yeah. And those are the kinds of things that we are not, that we're not afforded. In the most crucial times in life, right, right, that we need, right, and and just being able to have, you know, that kind of um, uh, given the the benefit of the doubt, so to speak, that's yeah. the kind of stuff that we get missing where we don't have. That's where the 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 uh, playing field is not level, right, right. You know, yeah. So those are the things that when people say. Hey man, we just want to be treated the same way. Like we're not talking about special treatment. We're just like like human treatment. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. hey, right. ask me the question, bro. I could, I actually get. I have documents. Like I have a. I have a registration. I have insurance. I've mm-hmm. got a license. Mm-hmm. All yep. that stuff. You can check the VIN number. Like all that stuff. Right.
1: You take those documents you know? first, and you go run them yeah. before you take me out yeah. of the car and yeah, put me on the ground. All yeah. All of that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Like I could have lost my life over foolishness.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I only took nine steps instead of ten. Dude, yeah, that's crazy. Come on,
2: man. Yeah. So the the you know those are the those are the kinds of things that um you know when 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 black people are outraged they're outraged over that kind of stuff because yeah. it's causing uh, too much uh, chaos too much mayhem. Um, You know, there's too many people being aggrieved over stuff that's like completely unnecessary that could that that could be completely avoided if, you know, there was a level of humanity involved. Right,
0: right, right.
2: You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And that's what that's that's what's that's what's missing. And again, like I said, the, the humanity part gets missing because they can't get past the hue. Yeah. You know, as Dr. King said that, you know. Writing is the language of the unheard and sometimes yeah. mm-hmm. you know um many times um well not even many times I know for a fact that um people who look like me would not write if they were heard. Right. Um I've never, you know, um you don't see people who live in resource neighborhoods writing. Why? Mm. Because their needs are being met and they're being heard. Right.
3: Sure.
2: Um, people who are constantly being marginalized for some strange reason are are constantly uh rioting. Mm. Uh not constantly rioting, but rioting when they get to the point that they can't take it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Where they can't take being unheard anymore, where they can't take um their needs not being met any you know anymore. The way to deal with our, you know, um, folks who um, uh, who are uh, mentally um, imbalanced or have challenges, um, uh, inequities in that space, those that are underresourced, um, the the way to deal with them is not to uh, criminalize them and and lock them away. Right. The way to deal with them is to to humanize them. Exactly. And to figure out what's going on with them, because now we build productive uh, citizens right. you know, out of our folks instead of dealing with another population of, of criminalization. Right. Um, and, and that really like when people say, hey, defund the police, like there are very few people who really think that having no police is like the way to go. But we got to do what Camden did.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Camden decided look, we're going to do this a different way. Yeah, We're going to reimagine the way we do policing. We're going to have, I remember, you know what used to, what, what used to, and, and, and this crushed my spirit when I realized that the world wasn't like this. When I used to watch shows like the Andy, Andy Griffith show.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And you watch Andy walk around, by the way, no gun. Right. Mm-hmm. No gun. And everybody knew them. Right. All of that. Right. So as a, as a kid, you're thinking and hoping that this is going to be an, a police officer supposed to be a peace officer first. Right. That's supposed to be an advocate. Right. Yeah. When you, when you don't get that, then you go, wow, this is, this is completely different. Like, and this is hurtful because my expectation was, that a police officer was supposed to be my friend right. and not my foe. right. So when people say defund the police, what they're saying is when half of our budget for a state goes to police officers, which means that we're supposed to be being served and we're not being served. Hmm. Now what we're saying is, defund which is deflate that budget yeah. and inflate the budget that goes into the people
1: right right yeah
2: that goes into the resources that the people need because guess what even when you look at the at the looters i got to tell you a little secret when i was a kid there was a blackout in uh in brooklyn when i was a kid and and we looted and you want to know why because people, only people who lack resources loot. You didn't mm. see anybody from Beverly Hills going to looting these. No. Why? Mm. Because everything that those folks are looting to get, as a person who lives in these areas, guess what? You already have that in your garage, in your closet, in your pantry, in right. your refrigerator.
1: Well, I remember you one know. of the most uh, one of the most vivid images coming out of the Rodney King riots um mm-hmm. being there and living through mm-hmm. that you know and i was a stone's throw from you know where fires were happening and it right. was it was out of control the one image that well uh, will, I will always remember was a woman walking out of a store with uh diapers
2: yeah, she was. Exactly. She
1: wasn't walking out with like yeah. this new seventy-inch right, TV. Exactly. No, exactly. she was getting diapers, exactly. and it was like exactly that one image was spoke so much, you know, and spoke volumes about wait, w- what is this really about here? Totally. And, and I mean, obviously, it was about the injustice, right? I mean, it was yes. it was clear. Yeah. the The brutality was clear. Um, yep. and then for, for them to be acquitted was just an atrocity and that's, totally. that's what sent everybody over the edge. And over the
2: edge. And then they're going, okay, Hey, I have an opportunity now to, uh, to source where I'm undersourced. Yeah. Even if you see, when you see somebody taking like a, you know, something where you go, wow, that seems like an expensive, but nine times out of 10. Those folks are taking that item, not because they're putting it into their home. They're taking it so that they can sell it Yeah. for the sake of having resources. Right. So even if you see somebody with a 70 inch television, dude, he don't want that in his house because guess what? I'm going to tell you a little secret. If everybody knows you got a 70 inch television in your house, yeah. you know what's going to happen.
1: They're going to come steal it. They're coming in your, That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: that's right. Yeah. So they're not taking, they're not putting a 70 inch television in their house. Right. Cause they already know somebody's coming to get it. Yeah. No, no, no. They're coming. They're going to sell that. Right. So that they have money in order to get the, the resources that they need. Like food. Like it's terrible to call food a resource. Right. But unfortunately, it is. Right, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. And
2: many of our, um, uh, some folks in, the, in in those under undersourced and underserved areas don't even have enough food, dude, or to your point, diapers, man. Right,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: You know? So that's why we got to really begin to look at, like, okay, what would make a human being, like, I'll give you an example. Look at the Rayshard Brooks incident, the brother who got, um, shot in Atlanta, mm, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. You look at that at face value. Now I'm looking at that as a citizen, right? I look at a citi- uh, As a citizen, I go, dude, why didn't you just let them put the handcuffs on you, bro, and go in and still be alive?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Well, now let's look at this. Rayshard Brooks had already served one jail sentence. He served a year, and after that, got in no more trouble. Mm. He had a job. Taking care of his family. In fact, just had a birthday party for his child. Right. Right. Yeah. When you're on parole, though, you're not allowed to have any running. Right. With the law, it's so punitive. But mm-hmm. if you have, do you know how impossible it is to live in an underserved and under-resourced neighborhood and not have any interactions with police? Dude, it's virtually impossible. Yeah. You have to live in your house, excuse me, your apartment, and never leave.
0: Right.
2: It's almost impossible. So he starts off the whole thing. Everything is fine. Everything is amiable, agreeable, we're good. And as soon as officer says, hey, you're drunk, I got to put your hands behind your back he saw his life gone. Mm. Only a desperate person who sees their life as over. First of all, he's a black man. And he didn't just get shipped in here, by the way. Right. He's mm. been in America for a long time. He knows how it goes, dude. Yeah. You get shot for complying.
0: Right, mm.
2: yeah. Never mind actually being in a physical altercation with a police officer. Mm. So here's the question. The question is, what would make a human being make a decision that he knows that if he does a fraction of what he's doing, he could be killed for it. Right. What would be so punitive that would make somebody make a desperate choice like that? Yeah. That's where we got to rethink our system that somebody who's already paid their debt to society, but Here's how deep it goes. Because these things have been put into place, the system literally has been set up for peop- for the recidivism rate to be what it is. Why? Mm. There's so many different things that are going on. It's, that's free labor. Do you know that there's, there are, are Fortune 500 companies that benefit from having cheap yeah, labor yeah. provided from our, dude, man, we gotta deal with truth, bro. Right. Wow. We got to deal with truth, man. Yeah. And this is this is the stuff that goes in to the entire picture of who we are as a country, man. Mm-mm. Yeah. That's what makes it so difficult, and that's what that's what has black people literally. Uh, I got to tell you, I, I I and you guys need to watch my please watch my post. Go to my Instagram. There's a post that I entitled "Grief and Rage." Mm. And I talk about how as a black man, and I live in, I, I live in a pretty affluent neighborhood,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? I, as a black man, I'm talking about how I am constantly in a state of grief and rage. Mm. And I live in an affluent neighborhood. Mm-hmm. If you really want to understand how black people feel during this time, watch that post. Yeah. it's gotten on Facebook it's up to I don't know four month, five million hits or something
3: yeah
2: um it's like, like because it has encapsulated how many black people feel in this country and that's the stuff that we got to begin to do we got to be, begin to have more dialogue like this where we talk about how we how each other feel yeah so that we can see each other as Uh, human beings see each other as a part of the human race see each other as brothers and sisters and then ask hey what do you need from me how can I help to get you what I have
1: right yep
0: Mm -hmm. man well gosh Uh, yeah it's so much more than just
2: uh, uh, it's everything yeah it's it's a whole
0: thing it's a whole system but but doing
2: what we're doing Mm. That this is how we this is how we create yeah change
0: yeah yeah definitely
2: by by creating more understanding so yeah, yeah I, be- I thank you brothers for uh, for having me man this has been of powerful. course of course
1: yeah I and mean, I'll be honest too we um, we were pretty consistent about having our our podcast regularly and then all, when all this kind of all, all this stuff went down where we just we haven't been motivated because it just didn't feel right to, yep. you know, just do business as usual. And even right. Zach and I were talking about this earlier and, um, you know, it's, it was hard to be motivated to, um, to do this thing. And, you know, and mm-hmm. I was like, and, and we both agreed that we felt compelled that it's like, well, if we do something, we, that we should we should say something, we should do something. We, should, we need to talk about it. And, um, and, uh, oh. you know, I'm grateful that, that, you know, we being brothers, we're able to do that and come together and, um, have this conversation and maybe help, yeah. you know, it's yeah. one, no one question. step in the right direction and, right. um, you know, have, m- and maybe inspire more people to have similar conversations and, um, and maybe think differently and invite one another over fight, invite our families over, you know, have some, That's right. have some dinner together. Mm. Um, yep. You know, no talk, question. talk about, you know, just, uh, because, you know, we, we're all human. We're all human. We all go through things. We all go through pain. We go through suffering and, you know, it's time for us to man up. See what I did there <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're saying, you're saying oh, that? Man. Yeah that? You get that You get that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. See what I did there <laughs> <laughs> I love it Yeah Yes indeed man And I love You know Levity One of the things That I loved about You know When we would study Was You know We do need levity We need to be able To, to um, See the lighter side um, You know um, cause that laughter allows us to to breathe a little bit. Yeah. So that, you know, we can dive a little deeper. Yeah. You know, um, instead of constantly, you know, um, choking it down. So, yeah, man, I, um, this has been great, brothers. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward
0: to part two. Yeah. Oh, awesome, man. Yeah, We'd love sure. to have you back for sure.
1: All right. Well, Dondre, thanks again so much for, for joining us. Um, you know, uh, We're just super grateful. And, you know, if you want to follow Dondre Whitfield, we're going to post up those things in the show notes. We'll make sure there's a link to to the book, which is Male Versus Man. Get a copy of that and learn about what being a a real man means and bringing some character to the table. Uh, Let's celebrate our differences, not not isolate because of our differences. Totally. Um, Let's let's embrace discomfort so that we can overcome fear and ignorance. Um, That's
2: exactly right. uh,
1: Man, thank you.
0: Um, Yeah, really.
2: It's it's my pleasure, man.
0: Yeah. It's, um, yeah, you know, again, been struggling this whole time with with what to do. And um, I think it's just important for us to have those conversations, be able to just stop and listen Um, and, and that's, that's what we've been able to do today. So thank you so much for being on this, uh, this podcast with us and, um, your, your book, um, we, we talked to, you know, a little bit about, and, uh, that's available pretty much everywhere. Uh, I'm I'm assuming Amazon definitely. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Where else can, can people find you on
1: your, on your social and, and, and connect and support?
2: yeah definitely so on instagram is uh at all dandre a-l-l-d-o-n-d-r-e yep um and then on my uh twitter and my facebook it's uh at dandre whitfield d-o-n-d-r-e whitfield w-h-i-t-f-i-e-l-d all right man well love to the family man yeah we'll, uh, we'll definitely talk soon
1: okay man you have a good
0: one okay my brother thanks see you see you